0: Thank you for joining us in our Luke series, the most important story ever told. Uh, my name is Nick. I'm the worship pastor here. Tim and Barb are at the beach, so I get to do this. So I'm pumped. They've been there for like nine days. That doesn't mean Tim's not working. We all get like seven calls a day. <laughs> um, but he's out there having a good time. We're excited to be there. Um, yesterday, I had a cool opportunity. Lisa and I were doing an event in We thought it was going to go late, but one of the guys who plays bass here, he sent us a text and said, hey, my son's playing a baseball game right near your house if you want to come watch. Um, His son, Ryder, is six or seven, right, and he plays on his travel baseball team. And if you've never seen six or seven-year-olds play baseball, I highly recommend it. There's not many things more entertaining than this. Now, this is travel ball. So this is the best of the best six or seven-year-olds at this sport, okay? And it's intense, right? I, grew, I was a softball dad, so I watched. It's different, though. I mean, these parents are tuned in. They, uh, one of The coach on the other team got thrown out of the game. Yep. It was intense. And, like, this is a coach pitch. There's a ton of hits all all the time. No pressure would be greater than if they were like, Nick, I need you to pitch in this. I'd be like, oh my gosh, hit batter, hit batter. Over and over. Can I walk my own team? We'll do great. Right? This intense pressure on these coaches, right? And the parents don't make it easy on them. They are intense. But I tell you this story, because watching these kids not only is hilarious, because they have like eye black all under their eyes, you know, and they're just like ready to go and their uniforms all look too big for them. I don't know why they can't make a uniform small enough for these kids, but they all look too big. These kids walk up, they're this big and they're like... (laughs) Right? They're playing in the role. They've seen it done a thousand times on TV. They're doing the exact same thing that they've seen on TV. I'm going to come up, I'm going to smash this ball. And I'll tell you one kid... Came up, coach throws the ball, bam, over the center field fence. Okay? kind of I was like, that happens? <laughs> clears, comes around the bases, the whole dugout clears. They run around, his whole team's at home plate. They're all smacking him on the helmet, just like I've seen a thousand times in the major leagues. Because what are they doing? They're imitating what they've seen. They're like, I want to be like those guys, so I'm going to imitate it. And it was a blast. My friend Will Franklin was there, me and him together, rooting them on. He tried to baptize me a couple times while we were there. It was great. You and me, Will, we had a good time, didn't we? Yes, sir. Amen. We had a good time there. But what I tell you that story to say, Jesus is trying to lay out to us, hey, this is what it looks like to imitate me. And here's what it doesn't look like to imitate me. You want to learn from the teacher? You want to look like your teacher? Pay attention to these things that I'm laying out before you. Right? So we've been in Luke 6 for a couple of weeks. We said verses 20 through 26 were your attitude regarding your circumstances. 27 through 38 were your attitude about other people. 39, which is where we are today, through 45 is your attitude about yourself. And 46 through 49 is your attitude about God. All of these things matter in our pursuit to look like Jesus. So verse 39. Also he spoke a parable to them. A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? In Matthew he shares this same analogy Speaking of the Pharisees who were living under this old wine of performance and not the new wine of relationship that Jesus was bringing, the disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, the Pharisees are mad at the things that you've said. And Jesus says almost the same thing. He says, let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into the pit. Now, some of you aren't old enough. I wasn't old enough to see this movie when it came out, but I saw it later. There was a movie called See No Evil, Hear No Evil with Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder. And Richard Pryor in this movie is blind, and his pride makes him operate like nothing's wrong, right? So there's this one scene where he's standing at the corner about to cross the street in the city, and he's waiting for the beeps to tell him that it's safe. And another blind man walks up and says, hey, will you guide me across the street? And his pride says, sure, take my arm. Okay? Takes his arm. They start walking across the street as the beeps happen. And when they go to step up on the curb, or what they think is the curb, it's actually the lift gate of a box truck. <laughs> and the guy he helped across the street says, hey, thanks for helping me across the street as the, gate, as the lift gate is coming up like this. And he's like, no problem. It's a walk in the park. And they turn around and walk dead into the box truck between all these boxes, right? This is the blind leading the blind. And Jesus is making this point because we have to be careful that what we're following is the truth, that our spiritual eyes are open to who God is, what he's calling us to do, and not just follow some religious routines that maybe we've gotten used to. So we're going to ask ourselves a couple questions. Am I operating as a blind person or worse, am I leading people as a blind person And then also, who am I plugging into? Who's leading me? And are they leading me in a godly direction? Husbands, as we lead families, we got to consider those questions very heavily, but we all need to. Who am I plugging into? Right? Because the good intentions of a leader do not make them right. And it feels good to be followed. So, I can really give you some fancy language and make you laugh and have fun, and you'll go, Oh, I really like that. That's fun. I like being there. It feels good, but that does not mean it's true. Who is responsible for your scripture knowledge? You are. You cannot outsource your spiritual growth. I think I've said that every single time they've given me this job, because it's true. And it's something that's hard to learn because we want to outsource it because we do so many other things. We hire people to handle things for us all the time. And so when you come in here, you go, this guy's studying it. That's his job. He'll bring me along. You're not going to get it that way. It's your responsibility. You need to be in it. You need to be testing what we have said so that we can struggle along together. You cannot. Outsource your spiritual growth. You know, we live in a culture that is constantly looking for your attention, right? Subscribe to my YouTube channel. I'm an expert in this or that. From, from biblical knowledge to cooking to politics to auto repair, Neil Rampersad loves when I look up how to do something on YouTube because he I can fix it later and I'll pay him for it, <laughs> Right? Or like fitness, right? You can have six packs abs in six weeks or something like that. And you just go, that sounds so great. So I'll just, maybe that's true. And maybe they have a bunch of followers and that's why they're right. We don't know. They give us some credential and we go, well, it sounds right. I already buy into that. So it must be true. It feels right to me. Instead of testing it against the things that we know are true. It's tough because you're inundated by information all the time we live in a culture that it wants to be the first to report anything so they hear one thing in thousands of news outlets and independent journalists report it because they don't want to be behind but what is true i had a pastor friend of mine very talented guy and a great guy he said you know nick If I want people to cry during a message or have an emotional response, I can make it happen. I have the skills. But if I want them to encounter the Holy Spirit, really move into redemption, God has to initiate that. They have to make a decision to move. I can't manipulate them into it. It will be fleeting. So, although he had these skills, which would make him very intriguing to listen to, and you would leave every time and go, he said, This is more important than that. I have to be careful because I realize I have this gift. And we live in an age of celebrity pastors and celebrity worship leaders, and you better make sure that who you're listening to is not the blind. Some are so skilled at talking and making us feel good that we don't even question as we should. And the filter must be the word of God. And for that to be true, you must know it. And I don't mean memorize the whole thing. Sometimes we memorize things we don't know all the time. I mean, saturate yourself, your mind and your spirit and your heart in the word of God so that you know his very character. And when something comes up that gives you pause or makes you consider it, you can say, is this how I know God to operate? Because I know him, I've been with him. And at the same time, you need to be willing to be challenged because just because you got mad doesn't mean it's not truth. We wanna grow and there's gonna be gaps inside of our spiritual and intellectual knowledge of God. And for us to grow, those need to get filled in. And sometimes that's really uncomfortable. But we wanna look like Jesus, this is the goal. And so I need to move through that discomfort for the sake of looking like him to the world. But for so many people in the American church, We say, you know, I want to leave church. I want to feel inspired and uplifted. And that can be true, that scripture can do that. I mean, there's a lot of hopeful things in the scripture. But when I see Jesus share in the Bible, a lot of times the response is anger. We see it in the Pharisees, who he's calling blind. You can't even recognize truth because you're stuck in it. In it and we don't like conviction we don't like to be wrong and some pastor makes us mad and so we go find another church we also we just we can't assume that if our reaction is anger that they were wrong it could be our own blindness if so if our anger would make us think something was not true, we would have written off Jesus quickly. It can be our own blindness that is leading us to a turmoil, to a tension in our soul, and that could lead us to convenient messages and entertaining churches where our growth is stalled or even nullified. And I can tell you with confidence, I've been with Tim Cash for a decade now. And over that 10 years, I've grown more than the 20 years before. And it's not because he has every single answer, because he doesn't. And it's not because he's never wrong, because he is wrong sometimes. It's because I know his deep desire to give you truth, to give me truth. And I sit in that office and we wrestle over it. Say, well, what about this? What about this? We're going to make sure what we give you, as to the best of our knowledge, is truth. But at the same time, I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want you to test it. If he or I or Dustin or Rick say something and it gives you pause, if you're concerned about it, talk to us. Go to the word. Let's figure it out. Let's understand whether it's truth. Because running away from each other won't bring about the growth that we all need. Does it line up with who God is? If I'm convicted, maybe there is a reason. If I'm mad, maybe the Lord is vying for my attention. But if my response is to run, I will never know. You must know the word and know the character of God. God will disrupt your view when you're following him. Eugene Peterson, who wrote the, did the translation of the Bible, we call the message. Um, When he passed away, his uh, son said, my dad fooled everybody. He really only had one message. He ran a church forever, but he only had one message. And he spoke it to me every day for 50 years of my life. And it was this, God loves you, he's on your side, he's coming after you, and he is relentless. I love this image. I heard Rick share this. This is not, I didn't research this and find it. I heard Rick say it, and I went, that is good stuff. You imagine a dad sitting at the edge of their son's bed and saying, son, know this if you know one thing. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you and he is relentless. How does that shape your view of the world when you've heard that your whole life? He wants the best for us, the Lord does. Not what we think is best. He is pursuing you out of his unmatchable grace and compassion and he does not grow weary. We study and we trust the one who wants the best for us. He is our teacher and our advocate. In verse 40, Jesus says, a pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. This is the goal. I want to look like Jesus. I've seen who he is. He's shown me just how amazing, sorry, I'm snotting, It's okay. Everybody's not. Um, Sorry. I want to be like him. I'm going to study after him. He says, you know what? When you keep studying, you keep pursuing me, you're going to know who I am. And then verse 41, he says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? I do a fair amount of work with lumber. Those are two very different things. This speaks to not only our judgment of others and our desire to receive love from people instead of the Lord by stepping in for them and helping them along, but also our need for humility and understanding of the grace that we have received. Now, I know we don't deal with judgment here at the Cross Loganville, but there are places that do deal with judgment and in church, we're tricky about it. We gossip about people in ways that are maneuvering around the things that God has asked us to do. Like, hey, uh, let's, let's pray for that family. And here's the laundry list of sin in their life. Man, it makes me feel good because I'm not doing those things. But see, when I understand the depths from which God had to reach to pull me out of that pit... That is not how I respond to his grace. Last week we were talking about being poor in spirit. And this is not what that looks like. Instead of saying, hey, I can fix you. Or here's what's wrong. You need to do this if you want to be right in the the eyes of God. Being poor in spirit, understanding your own depravity is putting your arm around somebody and saying, hey, let's go. I'm going to walk this out with you. And, you know, I've dealt with a lot of addicts in my time. They are the best at this when they've been sober for quite some time. They're so graceful with the people around them. They understand the struggle. But for some of us, I just don't even think we thought we were that far away. Maybe we've been in church our whole life. And so it becomes easy for us to judge the sin that we would never commit on our own, possibly. So we become judgmental. If they would only fix this, they would be right with God. But instead, if I can come next to them, walk alongside them, I become what Tim says often, a beggar showing other beggars where to find bread instead of some sort of let me fix you mentality. But let's face it, it feels good when people need us. And when we can swoop in right at the right time when somebody needed us or when we can pray a prayer so eloquently over their situation that surely they were comforted as if I have any ability to do that. It feels good, but we are searching for joy in a place that God was meant to fill. God wants us to look at him for that joy and love and peace. And when we decide that we have it figured out and we move away from this poverty of spirit and humility, we begin to plug into people instead of him. They're in front of us. It's immediate satisfaction for joy that I feel when someone needs me. And it becomes not only my aim to go help these people and meet with these people, but it also becomes my sin, a dwindling shot of joy and appreciation instead of God who wants to fulfill those things. God has offered himself fully to us to walk alongside us, for us to really know the joy of the Lord. So I'm asking you, are you seeking the Lord as your response to if I believe that He loves me and He's for me and that He's pursuing me and He is relentless, if I believe that, am I pursuing Him? Am I seeking the Lord? Because seeking Him is a beautiful consequence of this poverty of spirit begin to understand that I need the Lord, that on my own I am helpless. You are the answer, God. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you Right right before that, he's saying, hey, stop doing all this religious stuff out at the street corner and the yelling stuff. You're just doing that for your own accolades. When you're alone in a room by yourself seeking the Lord, your priorities are clear. In a book I read recently, um, With Christ in the School of Prayer by Andrew Murray, who's written in the late 1800s, um, he says this. This is a little long, but I think it's worth it. It says, first, pray to your father, which is in secret. God is a God who hides himself to the carnal you. As long as in our worship to God, we are chiefly occupied with our thoughts and exercises, we shall not meet him who is in spirit, the unseen one. But to the man who withdraws himself from all that is of the world in man and prepares to wait upon God alone, the Father will reveal himself. As he forsakes and gives up and shuts out the world and the life of the world, he surrenders himself to be led of Christ into the secret of God's presence. The light of the Father's love will rise upon him. The secrecy of the inner chamber and the closed door, the entire separation from all around us, is an image of and so a help to that inner spiritual sanctuary, the secret of God's tabernacle within the veil where our spirit truly comes into contact with the invisible one. Can we shut it all out? I'll be honest, while I was studying for this message, I almost threw my watch out the window because it kept alerting me to things. And I'm not on social media, so this was just like people text messaging me or that someone was seeing on the camera at my doorbell, right? And so you're studying. You're like, Lord, I'm to give you all my focus. Let me sure, make sure no one's breaking in my house. Okay, now I'm back. You know, in that Matthew 6 passage, he says, go to that inner room that inner chamber, which would have been the center of their house, and it is where they would store their treasures. So when you get alone with your treasures in that room by yourself, you're saying, God, I hold you at the utmost important. I treasure you higher than anything else. I encourage you to read Colossians 1, where they lay out all these attributes of Jesus and all that he has done, and it said that he might be your highest priority. He has all these things. He has done all these things that he might be because it's still your choice. And how we show him where he is as our priority is us getting alone. Because as Jesus points out to us, the Father hides himself from us. He is in secret. Go find him. Go seek him. I know God by being with him. By being in his word so that I can discern, is this him? I've sought him out. I know his nature. Is this him? I know his character. And I'm transformed by his word in his presence. And settling for what will never never satisfy us by plugging into someone else is a trade that we make for something that is just less. We settle for something that is not as good as the Lord because the Lord will not share his throne. And we all want to be people who have an impact for the glory of God. We want to be planted in the good soil of God's grace and mercy and love in living a life that shows Jesus to the world. In the very next verse, we see Jesus making this point. If you're not blind, if you're living with a humility born out of poverty of spirit, your life will produce the things of the Lord. In verse 43, For there's no good tree which produces bad fruit, Nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. The good man, out of his good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. And the evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from what fills his heart. My producing good fruit. Did you catch that word treasure in there? What am I treasuring? What am I holding at that highest priority? And this gives us this place to evaluate, am I really seeking the Lord? Do I know the Lord? Am I seeing the production of what it means to come after him? Am I being transformed by his presence? And this can be tricky and hard questions to ask, but are you finding yourself more at peace? Are you becoming slow to anger? Are you quicker to forgive? Are you responding like Jesus to the situations around you? And maybe more importantly, is do I believe that God can transform me? Because I think for a lot of us, We've grown up in a religious system, and and if you were in this area, you had a lot of people saying, hey, uh, pray this prayer, you'll get out of uh, hell, and then we'll go put you in the tank and, you know, go to church, you're good. And we we miss out on so many things, and we're just never really transformed because we just go, you know what, I was just born with all of these weird attributes, and I'm just never going to be truly like Jesus. Do you even want to be transformed? A tragic result of a culture that says, you know, hey, be who you are and live your truth. Is people believe that change is impossible because this is how I am. Right? I think some people believe that our behaviors, are sentence, sentences passed down to our, from our parents, like being tall or bald. I'm not talking to anybody in particular. Drew. Drew. Um, <laughs> Right, I just I'm a, I'm a slave to who I am. I can't I can't be changed. I'm just hot-headed. So was my dad. Right, I'm just anxious all the time. That's who I am. I'm I'm not. It's not going to change. I got to have to figure out some way to deal with that because that is who I am. I'm just introverted. I don't like speaking to people. So don't give me a role volunteering here where I have to see anybody. I just don't like talking to people, because God can't transform me. This is who I am. 2 Corinthians 3 17. I don't think this is on the screen. Nope. <laughs> now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, right? Very familiar. <laughs> But we all, with unveiled faces, looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. So you either believe, God, you can transform me, or you're calling him a liar. God, I'm, t- I'm too far gone for that. Some of us disqualify ourselves because we are so familiar with our depravity that we think, I don't even know if your blood can save me there, Lord. And so maybe we'll stick one foot in and and hope there's salvation, but I'm not going to live with the hope that you could transform me. I'm not going to seek you in these other things because what if you tell me about all those things? He He knows where you are. And he can transform you. He can breathe life into death. God spoke there was no light, and then there was. He creates with words. And he does not leave you alone. He cares for you too much. He's on your side. He wants the best for you. And just like any parent, he's going to say, hey, don't do that. Don't do that. This is going to hurt But most of us, we go, but this is what I want to do. And so I stick my finger in that light socket and I get a new hairstyle. (laughs) And it hurts. Because we don't really believe that he's for us. We believe he's hindering us. Don't disqualify yourself. He loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. He is relentless. And here's the thing if you've been far away from the Lord, if today, if you turn and if you could see him, he wouldn't be like 300 yards away going, Hey, catch up. Catch up. You've been gone a long time. He would be running full speed towards you and saying, Yes, come home. This is what a father does. He's seeking you. He's running after you. He's calling your name right now. He wants you to know freedom, He wants you to be a light in this world. Verse 46, as we move into our view of the Lord. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against the house, and it could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who has heard... And has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of the house was great. How do we see God? See, I think these four little statements are so important. Because if someone who really loves me, who knows better than me, is giving me guidance, I want to hear it. I want to abide by it because he's trying to protect me from something. He's not trying to ruin some sort of fun that I'm having, but he's saying, hey, this is going to work out for your best. So do I believe, is he on my side? Does he really love me? See, Jesus reveals in this passage how we respond to his commands and protections that he's laid out, that God has laid out. It tells us a lot about what we actually believe. Because I can't call him Lord if I don't allow him to be Lord. It wouldn't make any sense in any other place but the American church probably to say, Lord, and I don't do anything that he asks me to do. Because Lord is a statement of command, a statement of position, God, I place myself underneath that authority. And see, many of you are building houses right now, figuratively. Some of you are building and growing homes and families. Some of you are building businesses, or you're working on personal goals like health and finance. And so my question to you is, are you building these houses on the things of the Lord, or are you cheating when it's faster or more convenient? Are you deciding some lives will be worth it because I can get to my goal quicker? Are you consumed with the result instead of honoring God along the way? I'll give money when my business is finally making it. I'll skip my quiet time to work out because God wants me to steward my body anyway. Plus bathing suit season's around the corner. I brought a new bathing suit last year. So if I can get down to that size, I'll be stewarding my money well. See how you can do that? I'm not very good at praying out loud, so I'm not really gonna pray over my wife and kids because it's embarrassing to me. I wish I could tell you how common that is. I'm not very eloquent with words. Well, Jesus says, don't be eloquent with your words anyway. I Men, pray over your wife and kids, let them know where your priority is. Real belief is tied to action. Real belief is expressed in how we function every single day. We need to see God in the proper light that he is desiring deep relationship with each one of us. Not out of any obligation on his stand at all, all out of love for you. You are his precious creation. Every single one of you is precious in the eyes of God. And we're all fragile and we've been hurt. We've been at churches that have hurt us. Other Christians have hurt us. We can't be plugging in to anything but the Lord. Because if I plug in to Tim Cash and Tim Cash does something, fails in some way, I'm rocked at that point. I'm also in the pit. To his credit, Tim will say, don't plug into me. He gets in trouble for it sometimes. People like to come to the pastor in the Southern culture. I need to talk to that pastor. Well, this person's more qualified to talk to you because they have walked through it with you. No, I got to talk to the pastor. We want to help you the best we can. We want to struggle along with you. We want to put our arms together and say, let's go. Spiritual eyes wide open. God, show us who you are. Let us fall deeper in love with you because you can't fall any deeper in love with us. Do you believe he loves you? If that's hard for you today, and there there was times for me that it was hard to believe. You believe he loves you, not just because you sang a song when you were a kid that said it over and over again, but we were trying to make a point. He loves you. He's after you. He's on your side. He's relentless. How we see ourselves in the grand view of the kingdom of God is how we see And how we see God himself is the pivot point by which we either move toward the world or toward real purpose in the kingdom of God. And I think that's what each of us want. Truly, when we come in, we want to live a life of purpose. And everything else is dirty rags. Don't settle for it. Come after him. Today, as we pray, if you have trouble believing that the Lord loves you or that he's on your side, I hope you come up here. Whether you pray with somebody or by yourself, that's okay too. And as we pray, if you're challenged by some thoughts up here or challenged by these statements of Jesus, let him reveal himself to you. Because he is after you. Put your stuff away. Don't come up here and read your Bible on your phone. Because when somebody says, Hey, do you want to go to lunch? and it pops up at the front, now your brain is not on the Lord. He's after you. Allow yourself to be pursued by him by pursuing him back. Seek him in secret. Go find the Lord because he loves you deeply. Let's pray.